Capital Six Theatres is situated on the corner of Yates and Blanchard in the heart of downtown Victoria. Capital Six Theatres features luxury recliner seating. You can reserve your seat in advance and choose where you want to sit. No more waiting in lines. To reserve your seat now, visit capital6.ca. That's C-A-P-I-T-O-L 6 dot C-A. We would like to acknowledge with respect that the University of Victoria stands on the land of the Lekwungen and Wasanich people. We'd like to thank the elders and chiefs of these territories for continuously allowing us to reside here, although many of us were not invited to do so. As a radio station and media outlet, CFUV was founded in colonial context and still continues to operate in those contexts today. Welcome to You in the Ring. I'm your host, Salma Hassan. Here at You in the Ring, we share alternative perspectives on stories from our campus. We feature interviews with students, faculty, and other members of our community to hear what UVic has to say. So here's a question. Have you ever thought about just how much time you spend getting around? If you're not living on campus, you have to find a way to get to school somehow, be it by car, bike, scooter, motorcycle, the trusty old bus routes, walking if you're extremely lucky, and all of that time going to and from school adds up in different ways. Look at it like this. Each type of transportation you use to get to school has its pros and its cons. It's super convenient to take a vehicle like a car or a motorcycle, but even a monthly parking pass, which is the cheapest option for regular parking, costs $490 a month. The bus can be costly when we're talking about time. It takes about half an hour to bus from downtown to the university, and it can be much longer depending on where you're coming from. In addition to that, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been late for a midterm because my bus was early and the next one showed up 15 minutes after it was scheduled. You could make the environmentally friendly choice to bike to school every day, especially with the city and campus being so cyclist-friendly. But when it's anything but warm and sunny outside, the commute is a chilly nuisance. So what's a student to choose? How do we weigh the aforementioned pros and cons and make a decision on what works best for us? In this episode, we're going to take a look at how UVic makes different types of transportation accessible to students, and how three different types of transportation rank up with each other. A CFUV correspondent hits the street to talk to your fellow students at the bus loop, we hear from the coordinators of the brand new UVIC cycling plan, and we sit down with UVIC's parking manager to talk about rates, do's and don'ts, and those pesky violation tickets that everyone's gotten at least once. That's all coming up. Stay tuned. Okay, the bus loop. If you take public transport, you've spent a lot of time here waiting to get home, having an impromptu conversation with a friend you saw passing by, or cursing the skies after missing the last bus of the night. It's a hub for those who don't drive, those who know the struggle of rifling around in empty pockets for the last dime for proper fare, of wondering why you've been sitting at the same stop for 10 minutes. So to get a better idea of the life of a student who's a regular attendant of the bus, CFUV correspondent Annabelle went to the loop to get info on public transit life right from the source. What are your main sources of transport to and from UVic? Um, I take the bus every day to and from school. Bus. Bus or bike? 
walking or busing? Uh, I always take the bus. 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 I bus 90% of the time, drive for late classes. I can't ride the bus to school because I, it's just like not on a route. But when I ride the bus, it's usually if I'm going downtown. Uh, I only use bus. Always the bus. The bus. Always the bus? Yeah. Which number do you use the bus? Uh, the 7. Uh, I take the number 15. I always take the 14 to campus. Which bus? Um, either the 7 or I'll walk a little bit further and take the 15. 15, 14, 7, and 11. So I'm taking the 4 now because I live right on Hillside. Before, I was taking the 7. Which bus do you take most often? The 39. Number 12. And um, what makes you choose the bus over walking, driving, or cycling? Uh, environmental sustainability, first off, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to driving. And um, cycling is a wonderful option too, of course, but I find the relationship between cyclists and motorists too hostile to participate in safely. Uh, just affordability mostly. Uh, the biking is nice and all, I just don't enjoy it in, in the rain. So maybe in the summer I would bike more often. Just walking is kind of 40 minutes a bit too long for me. I live out in Esquimalt, so it would take me a lot longer to walk to Uvic, and I don't have a car. I think it's the most convenient. Like I, I have a car, but I always bus to work because parking is a pain. Like finding it and paying for it, and why wouldn't you take the bus? Then you just get there and you're done. How do you feel about the reliability of the bus system? Mm. Um, not so great. I think it's pretty good. I, people complain a lot, but it seems to be pretty on schedule in general. If it's rush hour, expecting it to be on time I think is unreasonable because you wouldn't get there on time in your car anyway. I, I think some routes are maybe not serviced as much, but if you live outside the core, that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's quite reliable, but sometimes, well, most of the times, buses are late. Late? Yeah. Okay. Which buses do you take most frequently? We take the 14 back and forth, and it either comes too early or it doesn't show up. So really? it's kind of an unpredictable um, jet -like thing, and we kind of just stop checking the schedule and just go and get whatever bus comes at this point. Um, when I leave my house, I try and leave about 40 minutes early, and then sometimes you're 10 minutes early or 10 minutes late for class, so. Which buses do you take most often? It's been pretty good. Um, other places I've lived and on different bus routes have been a lot less reliable, but the 7 sometimes comes a few minutes early. So basically I've seen that when I'm early for let's say a morning class the bus is usually late and when I'm late for a morning class the bus is always early. Uh, not great for 12, it passes me like every second day probably. <laughs> right, so the schedules yeah. don't line up? Well the schedule lines up but usually the bus is too full and it'll go right past. I find them incredibly reliable, they've never been late and there's usually room for me on them. A lot better than Kamloops where I came from. I think some routes are more reliable than others. Like, I, I generally just don't like taking the 14 because I think it stops all the time and I think it's super slow. Mm -hmm. um, the 4 is also slow and slightly... I used to take the 4 to school sometimes uh, when I lived in a different spot and it would be like 5 minutes fast or late, so it was like pretty easy to just miss the bus, which sucked. 
Um, but from like leaving from campus, taking the 15 is pretty good. But yeah, yeah, you like I feel like there's a pretty solid window around when the schedule says the bus is going to come that isn't like you just don't really know if it's going to be on either side of that and so you kind of have to give yourself like I'll be at the bus stop for 15 minutes and hope that I'm in the right time. Bus, yeah. yeah. Um, the 7 is always late pretty much. At least 5 minutes late every time it comes, so it's not that reliable. I don't think there really needs to be any improvements because the buses are very fairly consistent, usually arriving in 10 to 15 minutes. I'm from Powell River and buses would run every hour, so I find the bus systems in Victoria much more convenient. What improvements do you think could be made to the bus system here? Um, I think, uh, I can't actually say there should be more bus because most of the bus are tend to be empty in the evening or night. More like they should just be on time, I guess. I think um, staggering the schedules more so that multiple 15 buses, for example, are not running side by side or even the 14 and 15 that run the same basic route um, with the same main drop points would not be arriving at the same time so that uh, UVic students would have shorter waits at bus stops downtown. It would be really sweet if the public transit were to go further outside of the city and like to be able to access parts of Souk and other trails and that that aren't so accessible without a car. <laughs> Just try and improve the reliability of like the time schedules and stuff. The buses come or arrive and leave from wherever they're stationed. Do you use like an app to track when they're gonna come? Yeah, but the app usually doesn't really work because they're late and the app only tracks like when they should come and when they should leave. So if the bus is late, it'll still show that the bus has been to your spot right. and keep going because it's off like their schedule. Right, so it's yeah. not like a GPS on the actual bus. No, yeah, it's just like the time schedule is supposed to come. Mm. I think more wider service would be helpful for those sort of outlying areas. Because um, I think a lot of people have to drive. Like if you live in Langford, it's pretty hard to bus in all the time because that bus isn't super frequent. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's tricky because you kind of need more ridership to have more service, but you can't have more service until there's more ridership. Shelter from rain when we're standing out here waiting, that always gets packed with people. Right. So you end up just standing in the rain. Fair. I think sometimes they just need to run buses more regularly so that they're not as busy and like the busier the buses are the slower they go and then it just like gets busier and gets slower and, and everything but it's a, it's a tough problem because you can like I can see why they would want to not have so many buses on the roads particularly for like times when it's not as busy but there's some pretty clearly defined peak hours and I feel like they could just make them more regular during those times just more regular at all that's kind of my <laughs> constructive criticism because some of them, like I used to bus from work out in Sanitation to here, like to around here where I live. It's just the worst. It took like two hours to commute to Sanitation. And the bus would be maybe a little bit early, so I'd miss my connection and then I'd have to wait like an hour for the next bus. It was just so bad. <laughs> so more regular buses. Um, because if the bus isn't going to come at a specific time, 
then you need to allow a cushion for people who are like still needing to get somewhere. <laughs> oh, also, yeah, the the bike racks on like going out to the ferry. I don't know if they could also have a bike rack on the back or something, but it sucks if you're like trying to get somewhere and you need to put your bike on, and it's full, so you have to wait an hour. Also, yeah, you might as well just buy. Oh. Lately, I've noticed that it's getting pretty crowded. The, the the number twelve that I'm taking, like on certain hours, uh, people who are later on in the route, they might not even be able, able to get on. So kind of sucks for them yeah I heard that that may be because it's a one of the newer buses like did you notice that yeah it's, it's a newer bus and they it's it's somewhat smaller as well because I don't think the the route was as popular but I feel like just in the more recent years there have been a lot of uh, students have moved in the area if they can make the bus on time like I think that's the best thing they could do yeah timely yeah for sure um, do you find your commute enjoyable I would say, yeah. yeah, yeah. For the most part, if it's not super busy on the bus, then it's a generally pleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever talk to people on the bus? Um, I have been talked to more so on buses in Victoria than any other city I've lived. It's just a lot of friendly older people here, I think. Yeah, I get a lot of work done on the bus and sometimes chat with folks and meet new people or see people I already know from campus. Um, so yeah, I've never had a bad day on the bus. Any uh, great stories of the bus stand out in your mind? Uh, I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. Great stories. Yeah, no bad days, maybe no great days either. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. Do you ever talk to people on the bus? No. no. <laughs> not much, yeah, not much. Sometimes. Not too much. Like, if, if you are getting on and, like, it's kind of like, if someone like does a thing and then you help them and then you know you start chatting a bit or someone just comes on and wants to talk to you those are usually the two times and I'll end up actually talking to someone on the bus uh, do you usually enjoy your commute yeah it's not bad I kind of zone out and listen to music yeah yeah you don't talk to people on the bus no I'm pretty it's usually usually early in the morning so I'm just like keep my peace and right. just yeah. Have a nap. yeah pretty much yeah it's fine <laughs> not everyone's friendly because everyone has headphones in but you know, it's all right. Yeah. Not many conversations happening on the bus? No, it's pretty quiet. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's uh, all my questions. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Enjoy you. your commute. Thanks. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Thank you. We just heard a handful of interviews from students like you who frequent the bus loop. Up next, we learn more about the upcoming changes to UVic's cycling plan. That's in a moment. Stay tuned. You in the Ring is supported by Capital Six Theatres. Every month, Capital Six features an independent film series, which often includes a Q&A. Head over to 8058th Street to buy tickets. Phone the movie hotline 778-265-7988 to see what's playing or visit capital6.ca. You're listening to You in the Ring. I'm your host, Salma San. In this episode, we've been looking at transportation at UVic, how students get to and from school, and why their preferred method of transport is the one that they choose. Ever heard of a bicycle? This marvelous contraption, which was invented in 1817, is becoming the choice of transport for an increasing amount of students at UVic. 
The city is developing a plan to make the streets of Victoria more cyclist-friendly, and UVic is following suit with its own plan specifically for the school. But if the bicycle is centuries old, why is the style of transport coming into fashion now? How come it's taken so long for the school to devise a plan to make cycling safer and more accessible for students? CFUV correspondent Rachel sat down with the coordinators of the UVic Campus Cycling Plan Survey to learn more about what's happening with bikes in the ring. I'm Mike Wilson, Director of Campus Planning and Sustainability. My name is Susan Kerr, and I'm a Sustainability Coordinator here on campus, Campus Planning and Sustainability. Thank you. And um, could one of you tell me in 60 seconds or so, just introduce the cycling plan and who it'll affect on campus? Sure, I'm happy to. The, uh, the cycling plan, the idea of it really came from feedback with the community um, out of the campus plan process in 2015. Uh, we heard loud and clear that uh, there was a need to improve cycling infrastructure on campus as well as end of trip facilities. Um, so the campus planning committee actually endorsed that uh, a the development of a campus cycling plan was uh, a high priority for the university and, and that's why we're here today. Tell me a bit more about the timeline of the process and what stage we're at now. We hired uh, Urban Systems to help us, their transportation expert, uh, to help us develop the plan. Uh, this plan's divided into three phases. So September to December was phase one, and we undertook an online survey, did some pop-up consultation throughout campus to find out what the issues were for people. Um, those being uh, safety concerns, uh, needs for end-of-trip facilities, um, so we gathered all that information, we've produced a discussion paper which will be released shortly um, and we also did, it, the online survey also included uh, mapping as well so you can map out uh, on Google Maps where your areas of concern were throughout the campus. Uh, so that completes stage one. We're moving into stage two where we're going to be taking that information and looking at how can we solve those problems through either changes to policy or infrastructure changes to the campus, uh, which would include you know, separated bike lanes in certain areas or pathways, uh, as well as you know, improved bicycle parking in certain areas where there's the need and demand for it. Okay, thanks. So are you still working with the consultant then to, to plan those infrastructure and policy changes? Yeah, so... Once we have those uh, prepared, we're going to prepare options for people to look at and to consider in terms of identifying what the issues were and what are the options in terms of how to solve them. Uh, we'll be going out to the campus community at the end of the month uh, with some engagement labs, and those will be happening throughout the campus, um, in the library, the sub, and also in the Carso lobby. Um, and those will be really be used to gain feedback from the community in terms of um, how responsive they are to the proposed changes and if we have to go with option A or option B or, or maybe a bit of option A and B in terms of what the final design might look like. Yeah, and really a, a lot of these options are based on such a great background that we got um, in the fall. With the survey, we had over uh, 1,300 um, participants on the survey, which is terrific. And we also have... Um, uh, committees that we've consulted with as well so we're getting a really uh, good cross-section of the university so we have an advisory committee which has uh, someone from UVSS on there from bikes from facilities management um, we have a faculty member um, we also have an, a technical advisory committee as well which is BC Transit, Saanich, Oak Bay and um, we also talk to the local neighborhood as, as well that surround the campus. So, um, so everybody's included in this because it is for everybody. It's not just for cyclists. So we're really encouraging people to um, let us know what 
what what it is about uh, the cycling plan for them, whether they're walking or in a wheelchair or on a skateboard or a transit rider. So yeah, it sounds like an involved process. So if there mm-hmm. are going to be uh, shovels in the ground, when do you think that would happen? I think out of the plan, we're as we move into phase two, phase three, and the and the adoption of the plan will probably happen uh, in the fall of 2018. So we'll be presenting that to the campus planning committee, and with that, we'll include um, some implementation priorities and try and get some feedback from the community as to really where are our highest priorities. Um, once we have that in hand, we'll have to get the capital funding together from the university side. So. Uh, It'll probably be in the you know late 2019 we'll have to go through a, a design process for whatever the improvement is to make sure that we get it right and we've planned appropriately for um, the proper facility in whatever area we choose to focus on yeah can you give me maybe a sample of uh, some of the feedback like are there particular areas that you already know are going to need lots of attention um yeah and it'll be it'll be helped or it'll be displayed in in our um our phase one report, but one of the key areas that we found was coming in off University Drive or Henderson Road, which most people attribute it to. Uh, the intersection at Henderson Road and Ring Road, um, or University Drive and Ring Road, was really identified as a, um, a point of concern for cyclists because there's un- uncertainty around who has the, the right of way, whether it's a, a cyclist, a pedestrian, or a car, and who's to stop and, and where do they stop. Um, you're, you're coming from a multimodal pathway when you're leaving campus, across a median, and then into a bike lane. So there's several changes there that you have to navigate as a cyclist, and, and people did indicate that it was a bit challenging, and there were some concerns about, are cars going to stop for me or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Another spot that uh, came up was uh, bicycle parking in front of the library, or at engineering, or at CARSA, you know, and there's those are really popular destinations on campus. And... Um, it's not uncommon for a cyclist to come by and it's like, where am I going to park my bike? <laughs> because it's full. Because as we know, cycling is really popular at UVic. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a bit more about the broader UVic community. How, how do you see, like, how important is cycling to UVic? And why do you think it's a preferred mode of transportation here? From my perspective, I think cycling is a huge part of UVic and the kind of university culture here. I think from Victoria's perspective, the weather and climate make it an ideal environment to travel to and from the campus. And for students, it's an affordable means of transportation to to get from their off-campus home to on-campus. Um, and it allows you to exercise, you get outside, um, you're not crammed on a, a bus in some instances on some routes. Um, so certainly I think it's a really um, key part of the culture here. Um, and I think it's 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 probably best um, displayed through, I think, the spokes program that we have on campus that was actually kind of born out of a student's um, idea to for bicycle sharing, um, uh, sorry, bicycle loans and rentals, um, which is an entirely a student-generated idea that, that has really been a tremendous success mm-hmm. for us uh, mm-hmm. on campus in terms of um, providing students for, who come from um, other communities who arrive in Victoria who may not have a bike, it gives them an opportunity to get a bike and um, and have one for their time on campus. So. Another priority, another reason why it's a priority for us is the cycling is it's a valid mode of transportation. And in our sustainability action plan, um, one of our goals is to shift the modal split from 60-40, which it has been for a while, to 70-30. So what that means 
is um, so right now 60 that means sustainable transportation any kind form of transportation that's not in a single occupancy vehicle mm -hmm. and um, so that means 60 is you know transit riders walkers cyclists carpoolers and where's the 40 right now we're single occupancy vehicles and we want to shift it to 70 30 and the cycling plan plays a role in that because in order to shift everything you know to a to a greater split greater split um, we have to address all modes of transportation and, and um, cycling is uh, one of the first ones that we're looking at do you mm -hmm. foresee changes to I mean, the accessibility by car or by transit of campus through this plan? That's one of the things that we're working through with our technical advisory group. BC Transit's a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that their service is essential to the campus. So really what we're trying to do is, is to look at how do we balance the, the space available for road users right now, those being cyclists, uh, pedestrians, uh, transit, single occupancy vehicles, deliveries. And currently, the way road space is typically allocated, um, it's really car depend car heavy. There's a lot of space associated for cars, and we're we're not looking to eliminate one any other of the other modes of transportation in our network. It's it's more rebalancing some of the road space that's allocated to um, cyclists and making those people who are more vulnerable um, and improving levels of safety for. Uh, cyclists and and why we want to include pedestrians as a key part of this process is when we make those changes undoubtedly there's going to be pedestrian improvements as well mm -hmm. um, so it's really important to get feedback from pedestrians yeah mm -hmm. I can see that I'm a I cycle to school and I mm -hmm. have to go through the ring to get because I can't yeah. go around the ring road yeah. very easily and I always just I think I splashed some pedestrians this morning. And I, I, I think that was that was one of the main um, the issues that we heard from people is is not necessarily um, getting into collisions with cyclists, but um, the level of comfort and the level of safety when you're walking through the middle of the campus during a busy time. And how do cyclists navigate through that? Um, and one of the concepts we're going to be exploring in, in the phase two is called shared space. And basically making people more aware of their surroundings and, and really instituting that through signage or maybe some changes in the pavement markings um, to allow cyclists and pedestrians to really be aware that you're going to be sharing the space with, with uh, a cyclist and pedestrians uh, need to be aware. You can't just be glued to your phone when you're walking across the campus and, you, and perhaps having your earbuds in, you won't be able to hear a cyclist ringing their bell behind you out of courtesy and respect to, to give some space and knowing that they're coming up behind you. And everybody's a pedestrian at one point on campus, regardless of how you arrive, because we all have to walk to somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's why they're they're included in the cycling plan for sure. And this is related, I guess, the concerns about safety. Um, where do you see those the most for cyclists and pedestrians, and what what do you think you'll do about it? So I think. Uh, probably use an example of another area that we heard concerns, the Midgard pathway coming in. Um, pathway. So if you look at Gordon Head Road, um, there's Midgard, which uh, connects to the community, and there's a pathway that runs next to the Fine Arts Building. Oh, yeah. So that's about four meters wide, the pathway. It's shared between pedestrians and cyclists, and that's where we, we've heard a lot of um, areas of concern in terms of 
generally it's congestion, which mm -hmm. leads to uncertainty, which leads to, do I go left? Do I go right? Um, and trying to make that a lot easier for people to navigate. Um, so really looking at separation of, of pedestrians and cyclists in that area. And it, it's, you know, I think good example for, for um, that people may be able to reference would be the seawall in Vancouver, where you, you have a separate lane for bikes, a separate lane for pedestrians, and then there's a sign indicating which side you need to be on, depending if you're on a bike or you're walking. And that's something that I see as being a really easy, relatively easy uh, solution that, um, that we can work through um, to make it a lot easier for people and to separate separate people out so there's you you remove that sense of uncertainty as to who's going around who which way are you going um and just make it easier and more convenient and comfortable for people yeah. and what are your long-term goals for cycling on campus i think the the the, the key goal in terms of this is to make it safer and more convenient um and really as i think as susan mentioned um, to validate it as, you know, this is a key part of our transportation future. Um, we need to understand that uh, we need to reallocate some of our, our roadway and road space to, to allow for safe cycling. Um, and really what I'd like to see is, is um, those people who may never have thought about cycling but, you know, see, start to see some of the improvements and think, that actually looks like a safe place to be and, and a more comfortable place to be and, and maybe I'll try cycling. And mm -hmm. I think that's really where we want to get to is to encourage people that we're going to have the facilities that are safe and convenient for you to use on campus um, and for, to hopefully, as going back to our modal split discussion, mm -hmm. encourage those folks who may not in the past have felt comfortable trying out cycling um, to actually give it a go because there are the safe facilities to do so. And our timing is really good, too, because as you may have noticed around the Capital Regional District, there's other um, cycling um, infrastructure initiatives going on. Saanich is working on their active transportation plan right now, so any kind of improvements that they're going to do, they're, we've been in conversation mm -hmm. with them, so you know that those two will marry up. Um, so we have a smooth transition from, like, from the municipality to on campus. And I know Obey are looking is looking at something as well. And yeah, do you mean in terms of uniform signage or kind of connecting bike path routes? Or yeah, whatever? I think those are the kind of things that that they're looking at. Um, but uh, what comes out of it, uh, it's still in its uh, formation stages, just like us. But yeah. the timing is good because we're we're all on the same page. And, and it'll be great to. Mm -hmm. We need to consider how we, uh, as a campus, interact on that that boundary mm -hmm. of uh, university property and municipal property. And if they're building a new facility, uh, a, new, a new bike path, that we built something that connects and marries up well to it. Um, and there's no sense of confusion that it's well designed and integrated. Um, and I think that's really what we're, we're hoping to do through our technical meetings with, with Saanich and Oak Bay mm -hmm. is, is to understand what each other's plans are and what each other's issues are. And if we can come together in a kind of collaborative way to solve an issue, um, uh, that's really what we're, we're striving for. And if people want to get involved or give their two cents, what should they do? Well, the first place that they can visit would be uvic.ca backslash cycling plan. So um, we have all the information of what's been going on with the plan throughout the whole development process and they can find background and documentation and where to get involved. 
Um, the big thing that's happening this term is on February 21st is, is when our next survey opens and this is where people can comment on these proposed networks and designs, the ideas that have come out through the consultation process um, in the fall. And uh, so that survey is open from February 21st to March 23rd, and that'll be available on that website link. You'll see, see a button. And on top of that, we also have um, our engagement labs. So this is where we're going to have big poster boards out, and you can have, have a look at uh, what, what ideas came out of the whole consultation process. It'll give people the opportunity to um, share their feedback and ideas. And also, we're here to listen to any issues and concerns that they may have as well. And there will also be an opportunity to complete the survey there right at these engagement labs. So there's three locations. Um, Tuesday, February 27th is the McPherson Library Lobby. Wednesday, February 28th is the Sub Fairway. And Thursday, March 1st is the Carcel Lobby. So come on out and uh, tell us what you think, because we're listening. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, yeah, if there, if anybody has any questions, um, they can email us at planning at uvic.ca. We just listened to a conversation about the new campus cycling plan. Now, let's talk about parking. It's the bane of many a student's existence. On campus, the daily rate of parking outside the ring, which is cheaper than any parking inside the ring but much less convenient, is $8. For frame of reference, that's about the same price as a meal at International Grill. You can test your luck and just pay the $150 per hour rate for however long you need to be on campus, but the parking patrol is notoriously prompt at giving out tickets. So how does one drive to and from school without spending a fortune? CFUV correspondent Gemma caught up with UVic's parking manager to learn about the intricacies of parking at UVic. My name is Patrick Seward. I am the manager of parking and transportation in the Department of Campus Security here at the University of Victoria. Beautiful, beautiful. So we have a couple questions for you today, Patrick. Um, the first being, who determines the parking rates and where does this money go to? Right, so the parking rates are ultimately set by the Board of Governors here at the University under um, advisement from our department as part of our budget planning process. So we submit a proposed set of rates to the Board of Governors and and then they vote on it whether it's going to go through or not for the for the following fiscal year. Okay, okay. And who who's on the board of governors? Who? Uh, it's made up of uh, external uh, members of the community. Plus, there are student representatives uh, as well. Okay, beautiful. Um, and how are the parking tickets regulated? Uh, parking tickets are regulated through the university's traffic and parking regulations. Mm -hmm. So there's. Um, a number of different um, um, fines and penalties associated with certain things that people shouldn't be doing when they're parking on campus. And that's all, again, it's a policy um, that's, uh, that's set through the Board of Governors. Okay, so it's based on a criteria that they come up yes. with. Yes. Okay, beautiful. Um, and what are the most common complaints and issues that you receive with parking? The most common complaint we're hearing right now by far is lack of parking, lack of space. Uh, we routinely hear hear from people. Um, you know, they'll come, you know, shortly before class starts, thinking they're going to be able to get a spot in a particular lot next to perhaps their their building that they're studying in, and when they show up, there's no spots to be had. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
while the campus is uh, nearing capacity, there are still spaces on campus. But of course, they're a little bit farther afield and somebody might have to walk a little bit further to get from the parking lot to the building they want to go to. But there is still space on campus for people to wish to park. Okay, so it's really quite subjective and like location-oriented. It is. Although human nature, we like to show up as close as possible to where we want to go mm -hmm. and look for a spot and then work our way outwards. And that's what we see here too. There's people driving around full parking lots, waiting for spaces to open up, when across the street there's empty spaces ready and waiting for them to park in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so similar to on this, is there, are there any plans for extensions to the parking lots? There's no current plans. Mm -hmm. Expansion of parking will be mostly driven by building projects on campus. So uh, there are a number of parking lots that are identified as future building sites within the campus plan. And once those sites get built on and they displace parking, we'll likely have to replace that parking elsewhere on campus. So there's not a plan in place right now to build more parking. However, we are talking at a high level about what the future parking capacity on campus looks like and where that may go. Okay, so would it be a consideration to move it off campus or near campus? There's no, no considerations would be made to move it off campus, but there's certainly, there's certainly some thought as to perhaps building another parking structure to make better use of land rather than just a, a simple surface parking lot. Mm -hmm. So university is getting uh, somewhat constrained on the amount of available space to build on. Right, so this would be like a multi-level structure? Yes. Wow, okay, very cool. Um, so last year there was a new license plate technology that was implemented. So how does this work and are there any major differences that you've seen? Well, I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, we're really excited about uh, this program. What, it, what that license plate uh, program allowed us to do is do away with physical permits. So if you go to a parking dispenser to purchase parking for the day, you don't need to display anything on your dash. Mm -hmm. You pay for parking, you go to, your, go to your location that you're looking to get to. You don't have to go back to your car. Same with somebody with an annual permit. Uh, where they've bought it for the whole year. They don't have to worry about having that displayed on their car or moving it from the car that they have to the, the other car that they're using. It's registered to their license plate, so that permit is attached to it at all times. So how it works is we have a vehicle that has an onboard computer system uh, with cameras, and the vehicle drives around the parking lot, scanning license plates, and then comparing those license plates to a list of people that have paid to park. When they come across a vehicle that's not on that list, they'll issue a parking citation. Okay, okay. So once you're in, you're in. You don't need to do any more work after that, or? Right, right. I mean, there is still the parameters around when the permit expires. So if you pay for the day, obviously you'd only be able to park for the day. If you parked into the following day, you may end up getting a parking ticket if you didn't pay for parking. But. Okay. Yeah, it's a very simple process. Once you pay, you're, you're done. You don't have to do anything else. Okay, that's nice. Then you're in the system already. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the appeal process for people who do get ticketed? Sure. Our appeal process is entirely online. Mm -hmm. So if somebody receives a parking ticket and feels that they shouldn't have, uh, they're more than welcome to appeal it. Uh, we have an online uh, appeal process that allows 
the person to input their appeal, explain why they feel they shouldn't have got the ticket. And then what happens is once per month, uh, we have a, an appeals committee that sits um, on campus, made up of a cross-section of the campus community. There's student reps, um, staff reps, faculty reps, union reps that sit on this committee. It's independent of our office, so we don't hold a, a sway as to whether something should be upheld or, or canceled. And that group uh, will meet, they'll decide uh, whether an appeal is going to be granted or not on a particular citation. And then we notify that person that appealed of the result of their appeal. Okay, and what is their likeliness of being approved? It really varies from situation to situation and month to month. I can certainly tell you that there are a number of citations each month where the appeals are accepted. And I can also tell you that there's a number of, number of appeals that are, that are declined. So there's no real set ratio, but there's a large number of both. Okay. Is there any like commonality in appeals? Like, Is there a consistent thing that people keep asking for? There are... There are a number of you know a number of people <clears throat> that will appeal and and say I was in a meeting that ran late or you know this this teacher kept me kept me longer than I planned on um, that type of thing that's a fairly common mm-hmm. appeal um, other ones are appeals around signage perhaps there's a lack of signage in a certain area or a person perhaps didn't see a sign or didn't read the sign properly that type of thing so. Yeah, we don't get a large number of appeals. Um, most of most of the time, when somebody gets a citation, if it's either been issued in error or or there's a, a valid reason, you know why they shouldn't have been issued it. A lot of times, we can resolve those um, just at our front office without even having the person go through the appeal process to save them those steps. Yeah, and so in getting this feedback, is there anything that you? Um, have thought of the change in policy or in signage that may help? We don't, I mean, we don't often come across appeals that result in a change to, to policy. However, we do, uh, from time to time, see shortcomings in uh, signage, absolutely. Where, you know, perhaps it's a sign that's fallen down or just an area perhaps that's underserved by signage. And, and that'll routinely be brought to our attention through that process. Um, so it's, it's certainly helpful for us. All right, so speaking of um, parking concerns, so when you're asking students about these concerns, one complaint was that they can't, like how can you go between the McLaurin parking lots and how are the lots designed, so. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah, that one one is a tricky one. I mean, the McLaurin lot, as well as all the other ones inside the ring are considered reserve parking. Mm -hmm. So for most students, they wouldn't likely have a permit to park there. Um, but that lot is only accessible by Ring Road, so you can't access it from uh, parking lot 6 over by the Fine Arts Building. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge we have with the McLaurin lot is that would require a, a fairly significant redesign of the area and a, quite a significant expense. And with that lot being one of a number of future building sites, it's not in the plans right now to do anything to reconfigure that access. Right, it's more like a problem of inconvenience rather than necessity. Right, I mean the nice thing with Ring Road is is you do one lap around Ring Road and you can get in there no problem. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So speaking of alternative resources, Mm -hmm. um, if people aren't driving, they may be biking or walking to school. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the cycling plan? Sure, it's currently under development Mm -hmm. uh, from an external consultant and and there's a number of consultation um, uh, methods too that, that are being done with the campus community 
And that's all about developing future infrastructure for cycling, whether it be uh, designated bike lanes um, or end-of-trip facilities or perhaps better um, better areas for students to lock bikes or secure bikes. Those are all options that are being um, reviewed for inclusion into this plan. So it will really be a guiding document for cycling infrastructure on campus going forward. Absolutely. And um, how do you see this affecting the amount of students who drive to campus? The campus does have a goal to reduce the amount of automobile automobile traffic to campus. Um, we see it as a balance. We need to be able to provide facilities for all the different methods people get to campus, whether it be transit or walking, vehicles, bicycles, or even skateboards. We have to be able to prepare to provide those options for people, no matter what method they want to travel to get to campus. Okay. Does this um, running correspond to any sustainability goals that UVic might have as well? Yeah, UVic has a goal to reduce single occupancy vehicle traffic mm -hmm. as part of the uh, sustainability action plan. Uh, right now we're at 60% non-single occupant vehicle traffic to campus and the goal is to get to 70. Mm -hmm. So we have a bit of work to do to get there, but uh, that's in part what some of the cycling uh, plan is trying to address is to make cycling more attractive for people that perhaps aren't doing it right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your interview and I was wondering if there's any feedback that you'd like to give for students who do drive to school. Maybe um, if there's like uh, options for parking or if there's any considerations that they should take in, in mind. Yeah, I would say the, the first thing uh, I would say, and this goes for even if somebody's traveling downtown for an event downtown, always leave early. You never know uh, what's going to be in your way, whether it's road construction or a traffic jam uh, or just perhaps uh, a full parking lot on campus. And we don't want you to be late to your class or your meeting or your event uh, based on your inability to park in a particular lot. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so take into account the environment that you're going into. Correct. Okay. And, and of course, um, you know, if, if uh, anybody that parks on campus has any questions, we're available uh, to receive feedback or to answer questions 24 hours a day. And how are they able to contact you? 250-721-7599. Okay, beautiful. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Great, really thank appreciate you. appreciate your time. That was our interview with UVic's parking manager. Thanks so much for listening to You in the Ring. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, head over to cfuvpodcast.com or soundcloud.com forward slash cfuv. The theme music you heard on this episode was composed and performed by Toe. This episode was produced by myself, Maureen Chow, Annabelle Budd, Rachel Gardner, Dante, Gemma Kazalko, and Max Collins. This program is created by our podcasting production team. If you'd like to get involved in spoken word programming here at CFUV, you can find more information at cfuv.ca. You in the Ring could not be created without the support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Thank you so much. Once again, I'm your host, Salma Hassan. This is You in the Ring. Thank you for listening. You in the Ring is made possible with the generous support of Capital Six Cinemas and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. You in the Ring is proudly supported by Capital Six Theatres. 
get out of the house and see brand new movies with surround sound and first class luxury seating on the big screen. Experience cinema how it was meant to be seen. Capital Six, the ultimate movie going experience. Book tickets and see what's playing at capital6.ca.